I always wear my mask and wash my hands after going home. I am the king of Zanika. It's a good tuna, but I think I think too much. Welcome to the Japan War Podcast, episode 123. And I am your host, Matthew MatthewPMBigelow.com. The Japan What Podcast is, of course, the podcast that covers AI markets in Japan, Society 5.0, rising conflict, odd items, news analysis, and more. And, of course, we are coming to you from the hybrid studios of the Comox Valley, Vancouver Island. I'm on the, I'm road, on the road, doing the podcast when and wherever I can. And if you want to know what the hybrid studios is, just imagine the interior of a Toyota Prius. And that's me right now. I got my gear here. We're on the road for Christmas, looking to do some music in the Comox Valley, where I used to live a very long time ago. But we still got uh, enough going on on the, on the podcasting front to cover all the, the important topics here. And uh, I, I got my road gig here, so my, my road gear, my road kit. And it's kind of willy-nilly, but we're doing it anyways. Uh, a couple of things is that uh, for anyone who's been listening to the podcast long enough, I sometimes talk about the, um, the construction boom that's happening in Tokyo right now. And we focus on major buildings. They're all big and beautiful and all that. But one thing that's um, happening as well is that a lot of uh, older buildings that used to have like houses on the lots, just old houses with one or two people living in them, are now being demolished. And uh, massive amounts of tiny little uh, apartment buildings are being set up with like 14 or 15 units. And all of the places are very small, very compact, and they have sometimes like SDG symbols on the outside. Um, and the same thing is happening in the Comox Valley. I mean, not, not the big buildings, of course, uh, there's just not enough people for that, but a lot of the new construction here is very similar in the way of three or four stories, five stories, maybe built apartment buildings, um, lots of condos. It's very much a smaller thing. There used to be all these like, um, lots in the Comox Valley, a tiny little house in a giant field. Well, these developers are coming in and they take the little house out and they put in like a narrow but winding road and then they replace the one house with like eight or seven houses and a couple of duplexes or something like that. So the same thing is happening here in a way. I just thought it was an interesting uh, observation as to a correlation of, of what's going on for the future of our housing. No one can afford a house. Therefore, we will demolish the houses and put up many, many tiny houses for people to live in. There's even like this exclusive style golf course club called Crown Isle near where I live. And this was a place that wouldn't allow you to hang up your underwear to dry in the sun. You'd get complaints. But now they're manufacturing a bunch of tiny houses and putting them right into the golf course. So... Times are changing, and this is a theme that I think extends well beyond um, where we just uh, happen to live. So let's get into it. A busy day today, uh, focusing, of course, on on the Japanese markets and everything I talk about is available at the website, the official website, MatthewPMBigelow.com. That's MatthewPMBigelow.com. If you think, wait a minute, this news source is fake, well, it's all well-sourced at MatthewPMBigelow.com. You can disagree with my opinions. Don't really care. <laughs> That's why we do podcasts. I hope no one disagrees with my opinion. I know I'll start a podcast. Well, let's begin with high or not high with a new product combined into it. So is it high? Are these people high with this item or are they not high? High or not high. By the way, it's amazing that all this technology works, but it's it's like, am I, am I close enough to the Wi-Fi router? Do I have enough space to put my microphone? <laughs> Having a studio is like a proper studio makes a big difference. All right. The Asahi Shimbum, Asia and, Asia and Japan Watch. Family Mart hits the runway with convenience wear lineup from December 1st, 2023. And I'm recording this on December 26th. Uh... 
2023. So we got this. Family Mart. Family Mart hits the runway with convenience wear lineup. And there's like a picture of uh, a fashion show of people exiting the Family Mart convenience store. It's like a fake convenience store inside of a fashion show. And there's like a guitar player making some music. And uh, in addition, some people are coming and going from the Family Mart, but they're at a fashion show. Hmm. And Family Mart is, of course, one of the major convenience stores in Japan, the convenience store chain. Convenience store chain operator Family Mart Co. held its first ever runway show promoting its original apparel dubbed Convenience Wear on November 30th. The runaway venue, sorry, the runway venue resembling a typical Family Mart convenience store was set up near Tokyo's Harajuku district for the show. About 100 models, including Family Mart franchise owners and their family members, walked down the runway while wearing the brand's denim jackets, coats, and other items. The company in recent years has ventured into selling clothes, or as many Japanese people like to say, clotheses, because there's the E and the S on the end. Maybe you should pronounce that. In March 2021, the the company decided to create a new clothing to be sold at its stores. I just had my iPad slip off my knee. Uh, Hiromichi Ochiai, a fashion designer who has participated in Paris Men's Fashion Week, was asked to design the new items. The company used the expertise of Itochu Corp, Family Mart's parent company, for the selection and procurement of the materials. The company... I'm getting a lot of messages right now from abroad. The company used the expertise of, um, the company branded the newly designed items as convenience wear. Upon selling about 100 items that include socks, handkerchiefs, and t-shirts, they found a hit with a pair of socks featuring blue and green lines, the signature colors of the convenience store. More than a million of the socks were sold within about a year. (laughs) The company then started selling cardigans, shorts, and sandals, among other items. The company said an increasing number of female customers are buying the items. Overall, sales of the convenience wear brand increased 60% within one year period, starting from March 2022, compared with the same period from the previous year. The company unveiled a denim jacket priced at, guess, 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 about... 10,000 yen, or $67, which is crazy with that exchange rate, including tax and a bench coat for nineteen for 20,000 yen for the runway show. Can you believe a, a convenience store is selling $200 coats? Is that like um, the convenience stores are just doing so well, or is this like inflation? Everything is crazy expensive now, by the way. Uh, it's like, I was here, I was in the Comox Valley six months ago, and even since then, I've noticed the same things are increasing in price. So it's like, wow, these convenience stores are certainly uh, getting into the luxury brands. Look at this coat. It's $200 from a convenience store. Or, or is it just inflation? I, I don't know anymore. Don't know. Uh, but anyways, what do you think? Are, they, are these people um, trying to capitalize on a uh, market segment here? Or are they just... High or not high? High or not high? All right, strange items there. We're gonna uh, take a look here. Um, we're actually gonna just dive into Society 5.0. I- I'll just read a couple of uh, headlines here from Japan before I do, just to cover it. Quote, roads are for people, end quote. Tokyo taxi driver arrested for allegedly running over a pigeon. (laughs) He apparently saw a bunch of pigeons, like, on the road. The light turned green. He hits the pedal, runs over a pigeon, and kills it. Some lady is like, how do you do that? And he's like, roads are for people. So they called the police and arrested him. Japan backs tripling global nuclear energy. Sorry, Japan backs tripling global nuclear energy by 2050. Global nuclear. Focus on your own nuclear Japan. Japan PM Kishida vows to phase out coal-powered power, coal-fired power at climate summit. And the last one, um, I'll be putting a picture of this at MatthewPMBigelow.com. It's illumination season in Japan. And uh, the, the cheery but folksy Christmas lights that I see in Canada are, are, are nostalgic and nice. But the Japanese just do some things just a little bit more. Uh, and illumination is one of them. And it's like the Christmas lights, but they take, instead of taking like uh, 200 and trying to put them out on your front lawn and, and, and space it out, they'll take like 
37,000 Christmas lights and try to put them into a backpack or something like that. I mean, it's crazy. So they have all these buildings just replete, just plentiful, just filled with amazing artistic. They call it illumination. We can just call it Christmas style decorations and it looks great. So Kobe is, of course, one of the major cities in Japan. And uh, some of their, the illumination that they have there is absolutely stunning and amazing. I really recommend you check it out. Uh, you'll get a little bit jealous, but it will also put you in the nice Christmas spirit at MatthewPMBigelow.com. And then the final one, the uh, some sort of NPO director gets eight months in jail over organ transplants. Merry Christmas. Here's a kidney. Arranged surgeries in Belarus for Japanese patients. I've heard before that there's like, of course, we all know that China, uh, China does a massive amount of organ harvesting, organ harvest, or organ harvesting, uh, initially from the Falun Gong. Uh, because they don't drink. But as the Falun Gong have aged demographically, the the Beijing leadership has apparently or allegedly or rumored to have sought out new organs from healthy young people. And those include the Uyghurs at this point because they're Muslim. They don't drink. They're not too far away, I guess, in the, in the ethnicity department. So they uh, apparently steal their organs. Yeah, but I've heard that Japanese people are also in on this on a, on a much smaller scale, but some of these um like elitist, you know, super weird Japanese will will get in on the action and and, and travel places to get their their organs where however they can. Uh, do the Belarusian organs uh, transfer smoothly into these tiny Japanese people? Do they walk around with a giant liver hanging out the side of their bodies and pretend nobody notices or what? What is happening there? So that's the Japanese news for today. Uh, the main focus for today, I'm not sure how long this podcast is going to be because I'm recording it in my, my, my a car, a Toyota hybrid uh, Prius, and uh, I'm calling this the, the hybrid studios just to make it sound better than it is. We'll see how it goes, but the main crux of today is Japan Society 5.0. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, free us from the stress of driving, allowing us to safely visit anyone, anytime. We will have access to the latest medical advancements at a low cost, no matter where we are. Society 5.0, for the betterment of human lives. All right, so the Japan Society 5.0, and I mention this every time, is a uh, umbrella term designed in part by the Japanese government to introduce the next level of society. 5.0 just kind of means um, AI, uh, IoT, everything is like this digital twin of real life. Society 4.0 is what we're living in now, where people kind of in, uh, and interact individually within the cloud. Um, and then 3.0 and 2.0 is like the Industrial Revolution or something like that. And 1.0 is like farmers or whatever. You get the idea. So there's Society 1, 2, 3, 4, and they're trying to envision Society 5.0. And when I was working at a telecommunications company, one of the major three in Japan for a period of five years, a lot of my students were um, in the upper echelons of this company. And when I uh, found this idea of Japan Society 5.0, a few of them were like, oh, yeah, we know about that. It might be a good chance for our company. And as you know, the um, owner of this company who, you know, invested $100 billion into AI, was, that's right, $100 billion into AI, 
um, also has a lot of uh, manuscripts about how the Meiji government envisioned a new society, and he wants to approach, uh, approach this in the same way. Also believes in the singularity and robots as friends and shoes with robots as friends and stuff like that. Um, and I became really interested in this topic, and this was about like 2017, 2018, and uh, one thing is like that that jingle I just played that was made by the Japanese government, and uh, it's always like robots and drones, but now it's not. It's not like that at all anymore. Uh, we don't notice how like there's nobody saying we're gonna have self-driving cars except for Tesla. Nobody is saying like the drone delivery is coming. They tried it. For some reason, it couldn't really work. I I personally think there's so much um, naysaying and ineptitude at the at the uh, regulatory level these days that, that people are trying to shoehorn this technology into existing infrastructure, and it needs its new original infrastructure. The same thing has happened as well with uh, bike lanes, where I support bike lanes, of course. I like biking. I'd rather bike everywhere than take a car if possible. But all these roads that exist in our major cities are there for cars, essentially, except for a lot of, you know, European cities and stuff like that. But if you take like a modern city that's based on car travel and then you take a strip on the side of the road and now you say we've created a bike lane. No, you've just reappropriated existing infrastructure and now bikes have to drive along next to semi-trucks in some cases or dangerous drivers or old drivers. None of these people have, most of them have never said, let's make an entire network of just bicycle-only lanes. It does exist in some places, but you're lucky if you have them. Whereas if we all think of cars on the road as some ubiquitous thing that is naturally there. So what I'm trying to say is, is that we have this um, theme of uh, people saying, look, we're going to make bicycle lanes. And they paint a line on the road and say, look, we made a bicycle lane. Well, no, you've just reappropriated pre-existing infrastructure. The same thing is happening with a lot of this Society 5.0 stuff where they say, ah, oh, we can't do it because it doesn't, it doesn't fit in with the existing infrastructure. That, that, that's kind of the theme today. And um, with this new AI world that we're looking at, and we can consider ChatGPT one of them. It's just a chatbot, but it will act as like a, an assistant. Like you would hire an assistant to research things you would need and get back to you whenever they could. And ChatGPT can basically do that immediately. It's an amazing tool. You, a lot of people will ask it like the, the Turing questions, like, are you sentient and or can you be my friend? But that's not how to use this technology. It's kind of like asking Google in a search engine, can you be my friend? It's just a database. So, it, you know, the way that it organizes and, and responds to your queries as, as a database can be very, very useful for as a research assist, assistant or some sort of organizing tool. Take all these notes and make them bullet points. Chat GPT can do some of that. And when you think of the amount of time that people spend in offices doing these types of tasks, it could probably replace like 100,000 jobs just like that. But um, what was I saying? The, the, the two aspects, the regulatory aspect is one aspect, but there's also like this takeover that's happening in AI right now where the chat GPT has this great potential, but it, okay, the, the CEO gets ousted and then he joins Microsoft and then he rejoins the company and Microsoft is kind of like a quasi government institution from the United States, if you ask me. And it's involved in all of our offices and all of, most of us go to work and interact with, with Microsoft on some form or another, or even watch MSNBC if you're an American. American or Canadian or something like that. So it's like um, it's being captured and being slowed down in many cases because for some reason, most of the people in these upper echelons of society, and I'm not just going to say the they or the them, although I sometimes do. I have like um, direct sourcing on this. And then the opposite side is just people outside of this paradigm of um, the the AI god is going to take over the world and also like we need to take over the AIs to prevent people from using it and letting it get out of hand. There's a lot of people who just kind of see the technology and go, oh, I, I can put like a map on this tiny little three-wheeled robot, uh, make a schedule and it can go through a rice paddy and stir up some mud so that the uh, photosynthesis doesn't trigger a lot of weeds to grow in the in the rice paddy, and then that way 
We don't have to muddy up the waters in the rice paddies on these hot days, and we get more rice because the weeds will not be sucking the nutrients via their own photosynthesis away from the rice plants, okay? But they're not thinking like SDGs or um, they're not thinking like um, we need to make this mass produced and put it into Amazon warehouses and, and become some sort of affiliate company. So there's like these two groups. Well, there's three. There's the people who say AI is going to um, uh, kill us all. That's like the weird group and you don't pay attention to them. There's the takeover group, which are kind of dangerous because they're basically administrators who will just try to make bike lanes out of existing roads. And then there's the cool engineers who are doing it nevertheless without much knowledge of these other two groups that I'm talking about. They just see these tools appearing and they go, I know what to do with them. I can use it for a very specific problem to for a solution that I am having or a very specific solution to a problem that I'm having. And so let's begin today's Japan Society 5.0 by looking at the K. Danren chairman. Now, if you know um, Japan for a long period of time, you know what the K. Danren is. The K. Danren, to my understanding, it's like the the primary business lobby group in Japan. Uh, it's called the Japan Business Federation, or the Keidanren. And uh, the Keidanren is located in, the main building is located in downtown Tokyo in the Maranouchi area, right next to the Nikkei Asia newspaper, and just across the street from the Yomiri Shimbun newspaper headquarters as well. Um, its members consist of 1,281 companies, 121, 129 industrial associations, and 47 regional economic organizations. Uh, for the most of the post-war period, that just means after World War II, uh, Keidanren has been the voice of big business in Japan and is generally considered the most conservative of the country's three major private sector-led business associations. The other two organizations are the Japanese Chamber of Commerce and Industry and the Jap Japan Association of Corporate Executives. The mission of the Keidanren is to accelerate growth of Japan's and the world's economy and to strengthen the corporations to create additional value to transform the Japanese economy into one that is sustainable <clears throat> and driven by the private sector by encouraging the ideas of individuals and local communities. In April 2023, the organization lobbied the Japanese government <clears throat> to promote the export of anime and manga when April 2023. Um a warning that Japan could lose to emerging competitions such as South Korea. The current chairman, and this is where we get into the main point for today, is Masakazu Tokura of Sumitomo Chemical. He has been the chairman of the Japanese Business Federation since Japan 2021. Oh, where do I put this beverage that I'm having, that you're having? I'm not exactly sure. So, um... Kaidan Ren is like, okay, it's this massive conservative party, and they are also very much tied into the Japan Society 5.0 thing. Jesus Christ, this portable studio. I'm not sure if it can last. And one of the main things that they're going on about is, of course, the AI stuff. And this chairman uh, from Sumitomo Chemical um, has these ideas about how to use Japan Society 5.0 for SDGs. Should I click on this link here? I got my notes all set up, ready to go. So this comes to us from the G0 Summit. And this is um, about a uh, Tokura Masakazu, the chairman. Uh, Masakazu Tokura was born in Hyogo in 1950. He graduated from Faculty of Economics, the University of Tokyo, in the University of Tokyo, or Todai, is one of the major culprits for um, capturing and bastardizing this technology, in my opinion. That and Sophia University, too. And joined Sumitomo Chemical Limited in 1974. He became the managing officer in 2006, senior managing executive officer in 2009, and became president in 2011. Since 2019, he serves as chairman of the board. He was appointed chairman of Kedanren in June 2021. From the social point of view, he accelerates the efforts to realize Society 5.0 for SDGs, as well as to establish sustainable capitalism. Okay. So, 
a lot of people will say Japan is based and Japan doesn't do all this weird diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff. And I'm all for I'm all for it, by the way. I, I love it. I love diversity if it happens naturally. Or if they say, well, let's open up this idea and see what happens. But we all know that like the diversity, equity, inclusion people are like these weird social control freaks that want to decrease the population over here by 26%. And for example, and just increase it over there by 26%. They, they're like these meddlers and they just meddle and meddle and meddle. And it's like through Tokyo University and through Sophia University and through these elites in uh, Japan's economic circles, this is supposed to be uh, super conservative people. Like these are like SDGs are typically not welcomed by conservative movements. The UN's self uh, SDG, self develop sustainable development goals. I'm sorry, but here he is saying that. We need to have the green transformation towards the target of carbon neutrality by 2050. Okay, what is the, what does that mean? The toward the target of carbon neutrality by 2050. Digital transformation for creating an all-inclusive society. Startup promotion, work-life reform, and investment in people. Do you think like somebody who made his who got his like raised who raised himself up by the bootstraps or whatever, who became like the president of Sumitomo Chemical? is like some social justice warrior because that's what he's trying to present himself as as of now. And what I'm trying to say is that that Society 5.0 jingle that I played earlier. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. <laughs> so crazy. All about the drones and the self-driving cars and all the medicine that's going to be great. Well, now it's just turned into using Society 5.0 for SDGs. So it has been captured. Was this always the goal? Because we're always promised like, hey, we're going to have flying cars and your computer's going to be your friend. And none of that ever happens. And all we ever get is just like more ridiculous levels of bureaucracy that suck up all of this money, kick the can down the road and never actually do anything. But then those engineers in the field will like not even be aware of this stuff and invent all this, all this in technology anyways. But then you get the idea that, all right, so they invent the technology and they release it, and then it gets bought up and shelved somehow, right? That's the other aspect of this. So it goes on from there. I do have a little uh, feature thing. And um, one of the couple of things here about um, the Fourth Industrial Revolution is uh, World Economic Forum speak. It's Klaus Schwab who wrote the book COVID-19, The Great Reset, and the book The Fourth Industrial Revolution, and they uh, founded the World Economic Forum. So there's these weird tie-ups. And then some of this language here at the bottom, um, society for SDGs is important for the World Economic Forum. Oh, yeah. He also wants to create, um, do, 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 where, where was it? Uh, green transformation, carbon neutrality, and the um, sustainable capitalism. Sustainable capitalism is another synonym for um, new capitalism. Prime Minister Kishida's platform here. And all that means is stakeholder capitalism as well. So there's a lot of sort of uh, tie-ups going on between these groups. And I don't know what establishing sustainable capitalism means. I, I, does anybody know what that means? Uh, what, what about creating an all-inclusive society? Like, how do you do these things without just taking everybody's money and wasting it? Uh, what is toward the goal of carbon neutrality by 2050? All of this thing. He also takes lead in reinforcing business communities initiatives to reconstruct a free and open international economic world order. Oh, I mean economic order. International economic order. Nobody said world or new world order. It just said a free and open international economic order. So this doesn't sound like an engineer type dude who's going to be like, yo, we need to get the drones flying the goods, the the medicine to the, the poor people in the mountains. It just sounds like a, I don't know, bureaucrat. Um, and it goes on from there. 
A couple of things. Um, this comes to us from the World Economic Forum. Uh, this was published on September 20th, 2023, but it ties into what this guy says. Japan's rural areas are depopulating. Could a circular economy deliver local economic revitalization? Um, and it comes to us from, there's, there's like a bunch of sections in this part, and we're going to be looking at renewable resourcing. As the World Economic Forum's Fostering Effective Energy Transition 2023 highlights, maximizing renewable energy is one of the critical pillars of the energy transition, particularly in Japan and island nation. Additionally, it is widely acknowledged that the local economy's advancement and long-term viability are vital to a successful transition to a circular economy. And the SDGs are often presented in a circle, right? So a circular economy just means an economy based on the SDGs. Numerous companies in Japan are actively taking measures in this direction. Suntory Holdings, for example, is partnering partnering with Yamanashi Prefecture and various companies to develop a green hydrogen production system in the southwest Tokyo area. The green energy produced can be used by the local community as well as Suntory's production plants in the area. Meanwhile, pharmaceutical company Takeda has partnered with environmental and energy company Oryx Eco Services and the Japan Freight Railway Company to reduce blister packaging waste using transportation that emits less carbon dioxide. As hydrogen, uh, it kind of goes on from there. Um... The company also recycles Limex cups used at home stadiums for another purpose. Regional revitalization does more than invigorate the economy, says Makiko Eda, Chief uh, Representation Office, uh, Japan World Economic Forum, Tokyo. <laughs> it's so crazy that this is all real. Collaboration and holistic approach. The Kedan Ren um, has stressed that collaboration between companies should start transcending the boundaries of a single company or industry. Recycling efforts should focus on the entire supply and value chain, including corporations that process and make new raw materials. Its policy states, these industries serve as the backbone of economic activities supporting the growth and development of other sectors and to deepen the cooperation among, the between, uh, among and between the dynamic industries. In, in addition, public-private partnerships are essential for the realization of a circular economy, and we will continue our dialogue by taking advantage of venues such as the J4CE, the Japanese Partnership for Circular Economy. Uh, to promote the circular economy, Prime Minister Kishida announced the launch of an industry government academia consultative body led by the Ministry of Economy, Trade and Industry and the Ministry of the Environment, showing the government's commitment to sustainability and that could be the silver lining to Japan's declining rural populations. I'll be posting that at MatthewPMBigelow.com. Like, the whole thing behind these things is not that it's terribly exciting or mind-blowing, but the fact that there's all these um, dots that you can connect between them, and that like sounds like, oh, it's just a crazy person connecting dots. But the reason why like they're not releasing all this new technology is that they're busy just creating massive bureaucratic bodies, it seems, that will get all the money and then like um, give us strange products that nobody uh, really need like it's to encourage a sustainable circular economy and more use of, of renewable energy those are some of the things like revitalizing local economies um, the government launched a corporate version of uh, a tax in 2016 the yahoo japan corporation for example has donated to eight local governments through the program as part of their goal to become carbon neutral which is a sustainable development goal. And if they can use Japan society 5.0 towards that goal, that just means like they're taking money and giving it to other bureau bureaucracies essentially. And then some startup might get some money for it if they apply for a loan. But I don't know how that's going to end up doing something because operating as a startup, you're supposed to be like these uh, freewheeling independent types who come up with some product or service that no one's ever thought about. And then um, maybe you get eaten up later, but to constantly be in contact with the government, it's like, hey, we need more startups and more individual thinking. That's why we're going to fund it from the government with these um, uh, decrees that we need. So it goes on from there. Um, this is called The Circular Economy in Japan, and this is from a website called zenbird.media, and they really kind of love this idea 
of circular economy in um, in Japan. And circular economy refers to the closed circuit of consumption where waste is not produced and additional resources are not introduced. And Japan is actively promoting it! Exclamation mark. Since the beginning of 2019, the awareness of circular economy in Japan has risen at a steady pace. Oh, really? <laughs> or they do sort like a Google, source a Google uh, chart, but... Maybe people are just researching it because they hear about it, but they don't really know about it. The interest in circular economy conti- continues to climb slowly and steadily in Japan. This follows the increase in interest in the topic from 2018 onwards. The growth is in step with the rising awareness of SDGs. We can see from the graph, too, that the interest in circular economy in Japan peaked at around 2021. Every week, businesses discover value in a circular economy, apparently, and have started introducing new models like recycling, reducing, and upcycling into their operations. Haven't people been doing this already? Like, here's here's the new the new wonderful economy: Japan Society 5.0, uh, AI, drones, uh, free medicine, self-driving cars. What do you get? Well, we have the government saying that we need more startups, and these startups will just recycle things and give them back to us. Don't we already have that? It's just like you can't expect people like in very strict uh, subsets of society to make something new. Um, for example, this is the um, the some like this website Zenbird.media, circular economy in Japan, linked at MatthewPMBigelow.com. Uh, they they promote some of these topics or these products that are amazing for the circular economy. Are you ready for this line of shit? Bring tea t-shirts is one of them. And I like the t-shirts look fine, but what is the cost of making t-shirts? As it turns out, a whole lot of oil. Oil is an essential ingredient that reproduces, uh, that you, that produces polyester used in making t-shirts. Therefore, bring t-shirts want to end our dependency on this non-renewable resource. Bring produces a circular economy of t-shirts by making old t-shirts out of new ones. Oh, so you're just taking old T-shirts, cutting them up or melting them down and making new ones? And that's our new amazing circular economy for Japan Society 5.0? So as soon as it becomes like for SDGs and all that, it immediately turns into garbage every single time. And here's another example. Rename by Fine.ink. The apparel industry creates a lot of waste, not only in Japan, but worldwide. One of the biggest source of waste is the unsold merchandise, discarded without alternatives. Fine Ink from Japan has created the brand Rename uh, to tackle this problem. Brands are often adverse to reselling unsold merchandise for fear of hurting the brand reputation. Rename enters the picture, replacing the brand tags with rename tags. This greatly reduces clothing waste while creating a quality brand. (laughs) Does it? Okay, so here's a t-shirt made from another t-shirt. Here's a sweater that's just another sweater. <laughs> it's this is amazing Japan Society 5.0. Can you believe your lucky stars? No, no, forget the drones delivering all your medical goods to rural areas and the self-driving cars and all that. That's too hard. Just take these t-shirts and make them t-shirts. Now we're talking Japan Society 5.0. The SDG people are going to be really happy because you're not going to be able to challenge any of their systems. And you get to um, have a startup that makes t-shirts out of t-shirts and they get to take all of the money and keep it for themselves by by uh, tax collection and 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 government regulation bureaucracy the last one ikasa or ikasa ikasa is japan's first sharing economy for umbrellas Kasa means umbrella. This is an important infrastructure because umbrellas account for a large amount of waste that Japan produces annually. However, sharing economy is not the only benefit Ikashi Ikasa pushes for. It is introducing repair for their products. This reflects the extension of the product's life cycle within a circular loop. This not only lengthens the life of each umbrella, it also pushes for responsible usage, reducing costs of umbrella waste disposal while moving toward a product as a service model. You can't own your own umbrella. You'll just rent them, and they'll be repaired from somebody. But it's like, okay, 
It's just an umbrella. It's not like some sort of major new thing that everybody needs or wants or cares about. So that's what I'm saying here. As soon as the Japan Society 5.0 gets pushed into the SDGs, then there's the Keidan Ren, managed by some sort of Sumitomo chemical guy, and he's saying we need SDGs for Society 5.0, a circular economy, and the Prime Minister of Japan is like, yes, we need SDGs, and we need this circular economy, and that's just like the SDG wheel, and it just means um, the massive amounts of tax collection and giving you shit in return. That's essentially what it is impossible goals that take a lot of money and oh we didn't get there we're gonna need more money here's an umbrella that somebody repaired and that's the future society for you excuse me what about the drones what about the self-driving cars uh what about all that shut up peon get on your shirt made from another shirt open up your umbrella because it's raining and get the hell out <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> isn't that just ridiculous? Um, but I mentioned that there's like the other group of people who are kind of just trying to kick ass with all these local products. And today is no exception. Uh, I use chat GPT to translate this article because somebody on Twitter that I followed posted, like I was mentioning this robot earlier that you put into a rice field and it has this little, little wheels that kick up mud and then what it does is it prevents the sun from penetrating uh, too deep into the water of these rice paddies, and that prevents photosynthesis from kicking in. And then these um, plants don't grow, and therefore the rice gets less uh, interference with and grows more. So this is a great result. Just a stupid little, stupid little three-wheeled robot, um, and uh, that's kind of uh, the idea here. Now, I used ChatGP to translate this, and I thought it was pretty good. Way better than the Google Translate, by the way. Uh, let's just take a look here. Let's go back up to the top. In my studio. A revolution is underway in agriculture with a solution for weeding. Oh, I'll be posting the link to this at MatthewPMBigelow.com if you want to learn more about it. And I'll also be posting a video that links to a Twitter video so you don't have to read or translate the Japanese like I've done with ChatGPT, you can just see the robot twiddling around a field. Farmers wish for people to consume rice without worries and to avoid environmental impact during cultivation. Many farmers prefer not to use herbicides if they don't have to. However, making the decision to abstain from herbicides is quite challenging. One factor contributing to this challenge is the burden of weed control. The vigor of weeds flourishing as summer approaches is astonishing. To combat these weeds, Mizunigoru, that was the name of the robot, was developed. It's a robot that can weed fields by controlled remotely, by being controlled remotely and running through rice paddies. The development of Mizuni Goru was undertaken by Hatake Hotoko, uh, sorry, Hatake Hotoke Co. Limited. Hatake Hotoke Co. Limited, based in Shioriji City, Nagano Prefecture. Shiojiri City. With, Mizuno, with Mizuni Goru, rice paddies can be cultivated without using herbicides, which might become more widespread. In the future, we aimed for complete automation. Uh, somebody mentioned during the experiments conducted between 2022 and 2023, showing promising results. Oh, that was a quote from the company. The reporter talked to Yui Hiroshi, the representative, about the development background of uh, Mizuni Goru, its anticipated effects, and the sustainable agriculture they aim to achieve. Uh, and it kind of goes on. Basically, this guy started a family. He became worried about his pesticide usage or intake, and he didn't want his kids eating pesticides. He eventually moved out of Tokyo into a rural area, and he had to do this weeding of uh, rice paddy fields in the summertime. And he's like, this work is way too brutal. Can't we just throw some robots in there, and they'll kick up the weeds and uh, the, the, the mud and prevent the weeds from... Uh developing this is already a technique that's used in rice paddy fields where they take chains and they just kind of drag them or plop them around in a rice paddy in a specific pattern and that way it kicks up the mud and prevents the weeds from growing it's really tough though because you're outside in 33 degree weather with 99 percent humidity sweating your balls off with this chain in a field and people are just like man we need society 5.0 to take care of this so they have essentially and 
the, I'm not sure if the robots will be um, uh, successful or not. It's, it's, it's pretty easy to make a prototype, but you need a factory to keep the product line up. And then you also need to develop the product more and more and figure out ways to, you know, these, if these products are going to be used in, in agriculture and rural areas, they're going to encounter a bunch of things that haven't been um, thought of in advance. And they need to take these robots back and analyze where they went well and where they didn't and develop them over time for them to be any uh, successful uh, trend in the long term. Otherwise, it'll just be like this tiny spike where somebody said, here's some useful robots. And a lot of people said, those robots were really useful, but they eventually broke and nobody repaired them. All of the parts came from China. We can't make them domestically. Why don't you make them domestically? Because the parts come from China. End of story. So they need to find a way to um, strengthen their supply chain. I'm not sure if that would require selling out or not. So basically, when it comes to Japan Society 5.0, it falls into those two categories. The long, the arduous, bureaucratic, slow suck takeover of all this stuff. And they're doing it. And they're doing it pretty good, actually. Because let me tell you, when I first started studying this stuff in 2017-18, it was all about cool ass shit and now it's just about how can we um have this more in line with sdgs i know we will have t-shirts make t-shirts what do you mean well we just take this label and we take this label off the shirt you see well, why would you do that and now we put a new label on the shirt what it's like a new label on the shirt i'm sorry we attach a new tag onto the shirt so it's the same shirt you just replace the tag yeah and that's SDG, of course. It's a new shirt, and we didn't require any production whatsoever to make this new shirt. You just take this shirt, and it's now this shirt. And everyone's like, mind blown. Japan Society 5.0. And then, by the way, you can expect all this stuff happening in your neighborhoods as well. Uh, and, then, uh, you know, eh, people will say, well, yeah, they're working on it, you know. They'll get there. Well, can you really get there if this is the situation? No drones, just T-shirts. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0 a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges Thanks to the bureaucracy. All hail the bureaucracy. For example, free us from the stress of driving, allowing us to safely visit anyone. In t-shirts made from t-shirts. We will have access to the latest medical advancements at a low cost, Nope, just t-shirts. AI and robots will enhance human ability and expand our infinite But not if we have any say. Enjoy more fulfilling lives. Japan Society 5.0. Society 5.0. T-shirts. For the betterment of Made from t-shirts. <laughs> have you thought about donating to the Japan Web Podcast? I know you have. Who hasn't? Well, now you can by going to MatthewPMBigelow.com. We have donation segments, donation advice, and a couple of websites you can go to are paypal.me forward slash JapanWUT. That's paypal.me forward slash JapanWUT. We're also part of the Podcasting 2.0 Infrastructure which is a new way of doing podcasting. Apps that are built on protocols, open source, by people who hate censorship. Uh, with all of the AI censorship coming down the pike, that's going to be really terrible. And all of the major companies folding into it via the SDG goals, you're probably going to want to at least have a backup mechanism for your communications. One way to do that is podcasting 2.0. Check out Podverse, CurioCaster, and more. Just go, just search up podcasting 2.0 and it'll take you right there. It also allows listeners to podcasts to donate Bitcoin micropayments, those are Satoshis, directly to podcasters, meaning that 
you can put your money where your mouth is and none of that money is going to go to anybody else except for the person you donate it to. Uh, Spotify does not really pay out anything. Spotify is laying people off. YouTube will just censor everybody unless they're promoting something that they agree with. So podcasting 2.0, get in on it. I use the PodFans app. How about you? Now, of course, the uh, Indo-Pacific is a giant area and it's heating up. Pretty soon, the oceans will be boiling with the blood of the victims who died there. Nah, not really. Um, We see that the wars, the current wars, the Ukraine-Russia war, haven't heard much about that recently. It seems to be dying down. There's Gaza, there's Israel, but then there's this whole idea of Taiwan, and China has like this, the most insane military buildup of any country since World War II, and they're always saying, we're going to take Taiwan, and everyone's like, no, you're not, and then China builds like this massive navy, and they're like, well, we are going to have to take Taiwan, everyone's like, no, you're not. Then people are like, okay, maybe you will take Taiwan, but the U.S. will help, and then Japan will help, and the Philippines will help, and Korea will help. And then Russia's like, we're helping North Korea now, and now Korea and Japan are like, maybe we won't help Taiwan because we don't want North Korea launching a bunch of nukes at us in case we're down south protecting Taiwan from the Chinese. We don't even know if Taiwan wants to be Taiwanese anymore. I don't hear anybody from Taiwan saying... No, leave us alone. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, but how much? So one idea of, the, um, of, of war is that it's very unpredictable. Recently, in the past few weeks, there's been a lot of um, sabotage activity by the Houthis in, in Yemen there, in, in that area of the world. I'm targeting uh, ships owned by Israelis or having some sort of deal with Israelis. Uh, and Japan's been involved in a, in a couple of kerfuffles down there. One of their ships was taken, and then one of the uh, self-defense marine forces, whatever it's called, had to get involved too and uh, try to ward off a, an attack of some sort. So nobody would predict these things a couple of years ago. Well, one of the things that nobody also predicts for the action of uh, China invading Taiwan is the amount of refugees that would be escaping Taiwan, not wanting to be part of the CCP. We can imagine that perhaps there are a lot of Taiwanese people who look at the rise of China and say, hmm, maybe we do want in on that. But there's also probably a lot who say, no, nah, we like our island the way it is. And we like having this like way of life that we've developed apart from the CCP. So uh, a lot of these people aren't military trained. And if the CCP invades, it might initiate a massive chain of migration uh, starting from Taiwan and climbing up the Japanese islands there that are just right off the coast of Taiwan. Then they climb up to Okinawa then they climb up into uh, Kyushu and you basically have this massive humanitarian crisis on your hands. It's always easy to think about like the soldiers fighting on the front lines and oh the missile that was shot that destroyed the bunker or oh they got that bridge. But what about the like the millions of people who are fleeing? We saw that in Ukraine. We're seeing it in Gaza and the same thing could happen in um, Taiwan. But well, some people are saying that Japan has no plans for such a, uh, a massive chain of Taiwanese sort of flocking into China or into Japan. And of course, um, the CCP could easily use that to embed a whole bunch of operatives into the Taiwanese uh, flight into Japan and establish a bunch of sleeper cells within Japan. Maybe they start going around to power plants or maybe they start trying to stir shit up or maybe they just lay low for how many years gathering intelligence and information, posing as Taiwanese refugees, but really sending all that information back home. All that stuff is very possible but now with, you know, smartphones and all that. Japan's frontier islanders decry lack of government plan to aid Taiwanese fleeing attack. This comes to us from japantoday.com via Reuters for once. Not really a fan of Reuters, but sometimes, you know, they do it. They do it well. From Yonaguni. Uh, 
Songkichi Sakihara recalls chancing upon some of the last refugees to arrive on Yonaguni, four men who had sailed more than 2,000 kilometers from Vietnam to reach Japan's westernmost inhabited island. It was 1977. Quote, I was out checking for stowaways from Taiwan when I found them, Sakihara 80 said at his family store near the port where he encountered the group among 113 Vietnamese to make the journey after the war ended. Today, some residents of Yunaguni foresee another refugee crisis that they say their isolated outpost and its dwindling population of less than 1,700 would be ill-equipped to handle. Just 110 kilometers to the west and occasionally visible from Yunaguni is Taiwan, the self-ruled island of 24 million that China asserts is its territory in which Beijing is menacing with simulated missile strikes and other displays of military firepower. Concerned about the potential for conflict, Japan has earmarked, uh, embarked on its biggest defense buildup since World War II. But they've scaled that back a lot, so I'm not going to say this number. In interviews with Reuters, more than two dozen current and former Japanese officials and residents said hundreds, if not thousands, of refugees could try to reach Yonaguni in boats if China attacked Taiwan. Tokyo, they said, has no plan to deal with them, and locals' pleas for help have gone unanswered. Quote, it's like their mouths are taped shut, said Yonaguni Mayor Kenichi Itokazu, referring to the central government. Pinned to a notice board at a small hall in town was a list of typhoons and other crises to have visited the island, including the arrival of the Vietnamese. Um, and it kind of goes on from there. A longer article, but um, the hop, what's that? Uh, human osmotic pressure that Michael Yan, the war correspondent, likes to talk about. He says that wars always spin out of control. You can't predict where they're going to go. But one thing is certain that we see from all the evidence over the years is that people flee them, and they're going to flee to the safest, most reasonable places uh, nearby. And Taiwan and Japan have a very good relationship with each other. So who knows what would happen if, like, 19,000 Taiwanese land on this island populated by 1,700 Japanese. And what would happen if it's just, like, okay now how many of the how, how who can you trust in that group if you imagine that the ccp would be taking advantage of this opportunity to inv infiltrate japanese sh uh you know shores and why wouldn't it wouldn't you if that was you so that's that idea of war um another one is i'm not going to read much i'm not going to read it at all but i'll be linking to it at matthewpmbigelow.com is hundreds of chinese ships gather near philippines um, they've been really belligerent with each other recently, the Philippines and the Chinese and the South China Sea. Uh, America has kind of been really pushing uh, the Philippines to push back against Chinese aggression there. And Japan as well has been pushing. So we'll see what happens. But the Philippines have been really good about using social media and stuff like that to kind of show what's going on. I mean, like, the Philippines are very far from China. It's like a thousand kilometers, even more. And so these uh, Chinese lines in the sea that they've claimed are theirs, the nine dash line or the 10 dash line kind of claims the entire South China Sea is theirs. And then uh, the Vietnamese are pushing back against it on some shoals and stuff like that. And uh, the Chinese are now like assembling just tons of ships and like, this is like the same thing that they're doing in Taiwan, but I'm not sure if the Chinese Navy can handle, like they're not really experienced in operations. I'm not sure if they'd be able to coordinate a two front naval war versus uh, Philippines and uh, Taiwan while also probably dragging uh, China and Korea into it, South Korea and one other way. Um, and now uh, the final one for today comes to us from Taipei times and uh, this is from Taiwan as well. Uh, Japan would play a key supporting role, says expert. And this is by Jonathan Chin, a staff writer there. And um, a few months ago, if you've been listening to the podcast, it's like uh, people like Elbridge Colby, a, uh, a person from the United States intelligence community, who's very knowledgeable about these things. His grandfather was basically running the CIA during the Vietnamese War. And now Colbert Jelby is been uh, whispering around Asia trying to get people to build up their uh, uh, infrastructure for defense because of China and stuff like that. And it makes sense. 
but we're not really sure what, what he means by that because he probably just doesn't want America to get dragged into it. So he'd rather just like push other nations into it and then back off and see what happens. That's kind of my, um, what have you about it, my hot take. But we have here now this idea that Japan is actually going to just walk it back. They don't want to send all of their young, who are very few in number, to get sunk in the in the Taiwan Straits there, or the Strait. A former Japanese military uh, senior official told the Nikkei Asia that if a Taiwan crisis occurs, Japan should be prepared to take on the role like Poland in the current conflict in Ukraine, supporting Taiwan by providing arms, humanitarian relief, and sanctuary to refugees. Japan is currently the only country that could be the international community's gateway to Taiwan, as the Philippines would likely decline to do so, and Australia and Hawaii are too distant. Japan's self-defense force uh, retired Lieutenant General Koichiro Bansho was cited as saying in an interview published on Friday. Japan has historically accepted few immigrants and must be prepared to arrange uh, a large influx of Taiwanese, he said, adding, we do not have a system ready to accept hundreds of thousands of refugees. And I'll be posting a picture of uh, this, uh, the aircraft carrier USS Ronald Reagan and the Japan Maritime Self-Defense Force helicopter destroyer JS Huga sail in formation with 16 other ships from the U.S. Navy and the Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Forces on November 8th, 2018. I don't know how well they'd be able to work together, but this photo looks awesome. You gotta check it out. I got a screenshot of it right now, actually. Sorry if I don't cite it correctly, people. Um, Bansho, who formerly commanded Japan's Western Army, tasked with the defense of Kyushu and Okinawa, said that Japan should probably not take on a combat role in a conflict across the Taiwan Strait. Quote, the greatest contribution Japan can make is uh, to pro- properly defend itself, end quote, he said. Well, finally, some adult is speaking in the room here. Jesus, how long does it take to get to one of these people? And of course, it's never some long diatribe. It's just like, the greatest contribution Japan can make is to properly defend itself. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Notice how he doesn't say SDGs and making shirts out of shirts for Society 5.0. The best thing we can do for the drone community is to make shirts out of shirts to appeal to the SDGs, the commander said. No, the greatest contribution Japan can make is to properly defend itself, he said. Due to Japan's strategic position, the country could cause enormous military challenges for China by defending key choke points, Pancho said. Quote, China has nine exit points to the outer seas, and five of those are located in the Japanese archipelago, he said. The five access points in Japan refer to Tsugaru Strait, Osumi Strait, Yokoate Channel, Miyako Strait, and Yonaguni Channel. Yonaguni was, of course, from the previous article. Notice I try to structure this a little bit, not just read random shit. One of Japan's strategies to, is to impose uh, costs on the opponent. <laughs> if mines were scattered in the waters, it would be a hassle to remove them. If anti-air defenses were deployed, it would be difficult to establish air superiority. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. China, with its largest military buildup in history. And Japan, putting some mines in the water. Ooh, the cost. Japanese armed forces will not fight in Taiwan itself, he said. Quote, the main areas of the SDF's activity will be in Japanese territory and perhaps international waters to protect Japanese ships, Nikkei quoted him as saying. Final quote, a scenario in which the SDF, the self-defense forces, will go on to Taiwanese land to defend Taipei alongside the U.S., for instance, is not expected, he said. So um, we'll see about that. But I think in the past few months, there's been a lot of kind of international whispering in the in the white paper community trying to get Japan to like really commit. And that way it would deter China. But uh, really, Asian countries don't defend other Asian countries. I mean, they just let them go to hell. And then if they recover well, maybe trade with them, maybe go there on vacation. But there's like a whole like live and let live or die and let die that goes on in Asia. And I don't really see a massive military cooperation going on between these people because they don't really know much about each other at all. (laughs) And uh, to expect them to just rally together and uh, 
defend Taiwan because the United States says that wants that for some reason to prevent China from gaining access to uh, directly interfering with American shorelines and not having a bunch of Asian nations there to uh, pose as blockades in a sense to, to Chinese activity. Well, I can see the American position to be honest, but maybe uh, all of us in Asia don't have to die to uh, preserve America's hegemony over here. So there's also that. So that's going to be war for today. Die for the war, people. Die for the war. Die for the war. Everybody moves. Die for the good, for the good. Die for the war. Die for the war. And that's going to call it a day. So thank you for listening to the Japan Podcast from the hybrid studios in the Comox Valley of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Japan. Oh, I mean Canada. I bid thee Ja Mata Ne.